Hi, Alice. It's wonderful to meet with you today. Um, how are you and where are you calling us from? Nice. It's nice. It's great talking to you today, Spencer. To, uh, right now, I'm in the New Haven, Connecticut, taking my second year of master in international management at Yale. And it's been a, it's getting cold recently, but we're doing well. In New Haven, I, I've been there once before, and my favorite pizza place was Peppy's Pizza. Have you heard of it? Yes, we have. We've been having a lot of pizza doing events and social <laughs> uh, activities. I heard Yale's a pretty good school too, but I think the pizza might make New Haven worth it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how did you learn about the Responsible Digital Leadership Project and what motivated you to join? Yeah, I think I received a promotion email when I was taking my first year of master at Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. I think uh, HKUST is a partnership school with the project. So I see that email, it says something like mentorship program about FinTech industry. And my, I had my undergrad with a major in like finance. And I'm also curious about learning like what's going on recently in FinTech world. Cause I didn't have a very solid tech oriented background. It's more social science and humanity stuff. So I think why not taking this chance to do that? And also it says like, we'll get a lot of training because it's more like a mentorship program. Although it turned out to be not exactly like mentorship, but we did have a lot of insertion sessions and I really loved this part. So I just submitted my resume through that email. Then I think after two or three months, Soren just came and wrote the email saying, my resume looks interesting. Then we had a talking interview with Soren and I just joined the program immediately. And what hopes and long-term goals do you have both personally and in your field of study for management? So actually, after last year, I've done some research, started doing research. Before that, I was uh, hoping to get into more like a finance industry, doing professional work. But after taking one year doing some research, I finally decided to go pursue a PhD program. So I think in the future, I'm applying for a PhD in management. And also, um, this program also adds more orientation perspective from the technology side. So I'm hoping to, in the future, learn how technology can influence like team work, leadership stuff, exactly taking what I learned uh, in this project into my interest of research in the future. In your experience with the Responsible Digital Leadership Project, do you have any takeaways for how to best work in a diverse environment? And, and what were some of your initial reactions working in the diverse credit and lending team? And by diverse, I mean culturally, disciplinarily, and linguistically diverse. My first reaction was we really had the large team and people kept joining. Uh, at the beginning, I feel like it's 30, then I finally grew to 60. And th that was a huge team for me and that never worked in like that much. But then we divide people into like six uh, subgroups and I joined the credit lending team. I think we have about like 10-ish members. And some people I can see they are from totally different like expertise for me. Like one girl is, from, is doing a math PhD and some are doing computer science. And for disciplinarily, I really like the dynamics because you can see how people from different backgrounds are focused on totally different subjects. Like some girl may doing more like humanity work, really are really interested in like the why to be forgotten on the blockchain and some more more like computer science based. 
is more interested in like、um, black box issues with、uh, artificial intelligence. So, so because of the their different backgrounds, I think that adds a lot of different perspectives and makes the issue of credit and ethical dilemmas more comprehensive. I really like that. But I also had some initial struggles with such a diverse team culturally, because like for my background in China, I prefer a more structured and hierarchical teamwork. There is like a strict leader who assign you tasks, and you will follow like the strict rules of things. But I feel like in our teamwork, it's more like an open-ended discussion. We don't have like an absolute leader. We are like more about peers, and people just. Um, who did their work and talk about their work for that week, and they can also、uh, post questions for discussion. At the very beginning, I kind of didn't know like where it should go, but I think、uh, one important thing to adapt into that environment is not to be afraid of speaking up your worries and concerns. So I remember later I asked, "Can we like have a more structured way of like what should we do in the week?" And then we add more structure into the teamwork. I think、um, recognizing the differences, but also、uh, voicing out your worries and your habits of doing work, is very important. I think that's、uh, how I learned in the teamwork. Was there anything that you noticed that helped people from different disciplinaries work together better? Do you think the lack of structure made a, a more inclusive environment for them, or do you think having more structured, role-assigned environment would make it better? If it's just from my personal perspective, I think having an open discussion is very important, especially if you want to inspire some creativity and innovation. Because if there's like very strict leaders, sometimes people are hesitant to speak up things. But I also think as for the efficiency of the teamwork, we need some like team norms to set up. Like how are we gonna do our team、uh, our meetings? Like who's gonna do what kind of tasks? For every time, so we need some structure just for the team to run. But like adding more、um, flexibility, considering like people's different working habits, is also important. I think the work can be like even better if we have some initial like social time or even physical meeting with each other, so that we can have like more norms set up and knowing each other's values. But considering last year it was really COVID impacted and. And and I know Marisa was trying to set up more social hours just to let the psychological safety to be built up. I think that's very、uh, important. Were there times during the project in which you noticed there are things others had a hard time contemplating or understanding that maybe came a little bit more naturally to you?、Um, could you explain that、uh, better, like the natural? Yeah, it it could be. So I guess the vice versa of that would be. Maybe at first the lack of structure made it a little bit uncomfortable for you. Were there things that you noticed were very simple to you or easy to you that other people maybe struggled with more? And it could be topics, or it, it could just be dynamics. And it would be easier to you maybe based off of your own unique experience that others didn't share.、Uh, do you mean、uh, something that's、uh, easy for me but difficult for others that I notice? Yeah, yeah, like epistemic differences based on diverse backgrounds. Oh yes, so I think maybe one thing, um, also kind of challenging to me as well. But I see, I can see challenging to other people as well. Is that especially while working in a virtual team, 
And every time I uh, feel like in our uh, larger working session, that's why we ask each team to come up with one uh, representative to, to represent the whole groups and talk about what should be last week, things like that. I feel like for me, I, I didn't feel very much comfortable to do that because I didn't think I had like the power or like the other lead yeah, the leader position to do that. But I feel like people at more like um, Western culture background, they have they feel more comfortable to represent the whole team to speak up. But I think um, maybe my um, experience as a four year undergrad helped me to get better at like leading the whole team, even even if we're only like a peer to speak up for like the whole group. And to you, what are the challenges of working in a global academic environment. Um, and you can talk about your experience in the project, but also studying in both China and, and in the US. Yes, so um, I think for many of time, especially working in a environment like us, I think lang language barrier is definitely the first thing to notice. I, it's not in this team, but I noticed last year I was working on a global virtual team with uh, two other people, one from Russian, and the person speaks really fast. I also had some um, ways of pronouncing that I didn't re get quite well. So we had a lot of time asking the person to slow down and to repeat the meaning again. But I feel like um, another thing, especially for like global virtual team is you, had a hard time to understand what are the people's advantages and their strengths so that like you can really get people to assign the best path for each other because sometimes um, in a global virtual environment you are not that confident to tell people yeah I'm super good at this one so you should give that task to me people are all wondering like um, who should who should lead that who should speak up who should show like the best capacity so I feel like um, it's really hard, but it's also very important to establish some psychological safety to each other to know that we are all human beings. We're not that different. We still have commonalities. So people can really trust each other and um, uh, convey or reveal more of their own strengths and opinions to the whole world. Are there outcomes or benefits from global collaboration that can't necessarily be made elsewhere? Yes, I think um, one example is our project. We have like um, for our ethical dilemma, we all need to write something about what are the cultural influences on each ethical dilemma. I think that's one of the greatest points of this whole project because when you're talking about um, data ethics, I think this topic is very Western initiated and also a lot of conversation and discussions are happening in the West world. Uh, in my daily life, I didn't really listen to people saying about their, pri they talk about privacy, but they are not that worried. And in China, people are, I think generally have more trust in banks versus like people in the West society. So, and I think we also have like different opinions about like which, what are ethics should be. For example, there are trade-offs between your data privacy and also the convenience and the amount of credit you should be granted. Maybe people in like China, they feel like the uh, banks taking their data, they're trustworthy, so they are more willing to give away their own data. 
Mm. So I so in many of my dilemma I was writing, I always mention about my cultural perspective on how um, Eastern people will view like the dilemma differently. And you think another very interesting point about like the cultural difference on ethical dilemma is that um, for the accountability issue, for example, maybe in Japan, whenever there's like a big mistake happening, uh, people think the leader should take the responsibility. While maybe in China, like the subordinates for more often, they will take that responsibility. I think that is also interesting to consider when you're talking about accountability. I'm looking forward to talking about the topics of safety, accountability, consent, um, decision bias. I, I know you did um, dilemmas templates on each one of those topics. Um, and, and what is the importance of having global discussions on agreements on those topics within data ethics? And what can be those, the biggest barriers to those discussions? I think um, from my own personal experience, at the very beginning, when I actually um, know this project, I didn't really think that much about my data privacy issue. I, for like every account, I just like, I agree with whatever like the agreement says. And I'm also confident giving away my data to like the apps for them to give me like benefits. So I feel, I feel like adding cultural perspective, one way can, uh, is a way, first of all, to spreading the awareness of data, the technology ethics into maybe other countries, but also um, different countries, they may have totally different opinions over one issue. And that I think if the, because most of the ethical conversation happens in the West more right now, it's also important to incorporate people from other worlds to join the discussion so that we can make sure uh, each country, they, they also can have their voices be heard. For example, in here, we talk more about like um, conflicts or biases among um, races, among people of color, but that conversation may not happen in like some Eastern, Eastern countries there where there are only like one nationality or one ethnic group. So, but they have like other biases issues, maybe among gender or among people living in different geography areas, like China, the hukou issue, like where it is. So I think incorporating all the conversations is very important to set up a rule that can be um, overall applicable to every country in the world. Yeah, I agree. It's sad to see that, especially in developing countries, a lot of times they have the largest populations of people who see the consequences of poor data ethics, yet they aren't included in the conversation as much. So, so you mentioned rules. What, what type of rules do you think can guarantee inclusivity? And, and do you think that comes from international conferences, academic research, or pressures from private companies? What do you think is the solution? Oh, that's a really big question. So I think um, the big picture is definitely important. Like I was very glad to see that Beijing in several years ago also published the principle for governing AI. That's a sign of China also considering about technology ethics. I think those, uh, the government's actions are very much important because uh, they, they started doing that, like the whole society will be um, following their steps. And 
I also, because I'm more oriented to academia in the future, I think collaborations between different scholars are also very important doing like the research. Mm-mm. The discussion should not be just in, in United States or Europe. There, sh- there should be some collaborations between scholars from different countries to together talk about um, this whole ethical topic. And I think the project like this is also a way to educating people, to put to educating scholars and students with like the ethical literacy. So when they go to work in the future, they will giving having that perspective in their mind and educating people around them. I think that may be a very slow but also very a very great way to influencing the whole conversation. Thank you for the answer. Um, is there any uh, dilemma that you've done that you would like to present or talk about specifically? Yes, I found a very interesting um, company. That I think that's like a fintech company in Kenya. They are, are granting some credit using like a phone, mobile app to um, people who need a small credit. But one very important thing on their uh, user agreement is that they will actually even after like the users delete or have paid their credit back, they will still continue collecting their customer data. Even if the apps have been totally deleted, they say they're doing that because if they keep collecting people's data when they come back in the future, the uh, application process will be much more easier and speed up. However, many customers didn't know that, that such thing exists that their data is still being utilizing by an app that they have been deleted forever. I was kind of scared by that policy in the country because you never know like which what company is using your data for and who can believe that like if you did the app that's still monitoring your behaviors. So I think that's very much lead to like the consent, um, the topic, the discussion of consent in our ethical uh, discussions. And also I think the company said they are collecting alternative data. That's like maybe people's email address, where they live, their social media uh, activities like that, because those alternative data are, are easier and much cheaper for them to scan. And they say they will actually collect more than a thousand data points from a single customer. So then that's kind of difficult for then they will use like a technology, machine learning, AI to um, make the final credit learning decision. But it's very challenging to, for people to know like which variable, which factor uh, leads to the final decision. So mm, it's, and also you, you never know how you can improve your behavior. So I think for that, that's more like the black box issue of AI. You never know what happened in the process that made to the final decision. I think that's also a thing we should consider. Like maybe in the algorithm, they can make something to have like the import, the degree of importance of each variable so that you can still have some explanation for like the final decision. I think that company in Kenya was kind of surprising me and I wasn't in the same. Thank you so much for sharing. Does the solution lie in the companies asking for consent or do you think they should take it a step further and there should be a form of data ownership from individuals? Yes, so I think for especially the company in Kenya, many people there are very poor. 
And sometimes they even don't know the value of their own personal data. They may just easily say, yes, take my data, give me the money. But maybe that decision is lack of like a real consideration and the um, decent knowledge of the whole thing. So I think there should be an absolute um, different defined range of how long the company should use the data and where they can be using. I don't think it's fair for a company to use the data to collecting a customer's data forever, even the customer said yes. It may be just because the customer didn't understand how scary the whole thing is. So I do think they should let customer know and have a defined range, time range of how long they can keep collecting the data. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about or that I didn't ask you? Uh, yes, I really like to talk about the great inspiration sessions we held for the last uh, half year. Thing. So I think that's my favorite part. And I was so surprised that we had um, professionals from different industries. Like we had people from maybe consulting company Barclays, from like a visa and from a lot of research institutions. And they, every time they would give their own, yes, every time they would talk about their um, different perspectives, but like what consulting, consulting firms are thinking about the whole thing and how banks thinking and how even some governments uh, think about the whole topic. And I think one of my favorite speaker is like um, an author called Richard Torrance, who wrote a book on cashless China and talk about like the digital yuan that's not even a big thing. And he gave that and I really love the talk and even bought this book on the whole topic. I certainly learned a lot from those inspiration sessions as well. Each session felt like I learned as much as I would in a whole college course sometimes. Thank you so much for talking with us today, Alice. Um, I really enjoyed listening to you and I hope to hear from you more in the future. Have a great Thank day. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was really nice time talking to you. See you, Spencer.